Welcome to another podcast of Stories and Innovations in ALS with Lisa Deegan and I'm McFinn LeVere from Everything ALS. Welcome to Stories and Innovations in ALS, episode number one, Misdiagnosed. My name is Lisa Deegan and I'm joined today with McFinn LeVere. We're storytellers who have both been affected by ALS. We are joined today by our team member on the Everything ALS team, Richard Sperry. So our mission at Everything ALS is to bring stories of those affected by ALS and to share their journeys with us. It's a devastating disease. And our organization is trying to leverage technology to help uh, with a quicker diagnosis and prognosis of ALS. So Richard, we're so excited to have you as a guest today. Richard was touched by ALS for a short period of time because he was misdiagnosed with it. And turns out he actually had a different diagnosis. So I will share, um, I'll let Richard share that, but thank Richard, thank you so much for being with us here today and sharing your journey. Um, and just really quickly, for those who don't know what ALS is, it's a progressive motor neuron disease that causes loss of all muscle control. So. Um, Richard, thanks for being here. Please um, start and open up sharing your journey on how ALS touched your life for a brief time. Definitely. Thank you, Lisa. And it's uh, it's great to be here here today. How are you guys doing, McFinn and Lisa? We are well. Thank you, Richard. That is awesome. Um, Yeah. As I said, I'm thrilled to be here today to share a bit of my story and Mm -hmm. hope we have a good conversation and dialogue. Um, Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I feel like my journey is a is a bit of an interesting one for me. It certainly was. Uh, it started in in late 2018 mm-hmm. when I started uh, experiencing some first symptoms. Um, the way they presented themselves at that time was some pain in my right shoulder. Um, I first thought that was from working out, from doing stuff in the gym in my mid 40s that that I shouldn't be doing, um, and just kind of muscled through it and thought I could 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 work through the pain and and uh, and eventually uh, you know get better or, or the pain would go away and uh, that didn't happen. Um, I went to see an orthopedist first and I got a shot of cortisone in my right shoulder. That did absolutely nothing. Um, and then at this time the symptoms started to get worse. I started having uh, problems with my right hand, my right wrist, uh, was having trouble gripping things, losing a lot of strength in, in that right arm and right hand. Um, so yeah, things were, were pretty tough. And, you know, up until now I've been a healthy guy and really starting to wonder, you know, what's going on with me, what's wrong. So, um, that was, uh, that was challenging. Richard, Um, when I, when I lost my strength, it was because I didn't have any testosterone left. Did you have your testosterone checked? I did eventually, McFinn. Yeah, that's a great question. I did eventually, not not initially at that uh, at that first stage of of the symptoms I was experiencing. Um, you know, at that time they 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 thought still thought it was some kind of sports injury. Uh, I guess though, when I didn't respond to the cortisone, um, the orthopedist suggested that I I see a neurologist. Um, which I did, did here locally where I'm located in, in central New Jersey. Um, he ordered a bunch of different MRIs, every blood test under the sun. Um, that is when I got my, my testosterone level checked um, and everything kept coming up negative. They couldn't, they couldn't figure out what was going on, what was wrong with me. Um, 
Are you I, Googling at this point too? Are you oh, saying, okay, here's my big, symptom? Yeah. And, big time. and was ALS on your brain at all or in your mind? Or were you thinking, no, this is a sports injury? Like, yeah, I, I, spot on. Yeah. I mean, first I thought it was a sports injury. Then, of course, I became a, an expert in Google and WebMD and, mm-hmm. and self diagnosing and, and looking at YouTube videos. And, um, you know, I, I, figured if it was not a sports injury, it's going to be something weird. They'll figure it out and, you know, I'll get a, get a magic pill and, and be on my way. And, uh, at one point in, in the summer of 2019, my neurologist did mention ALS, but he said, yeah, I don't think it's ALS. He just said that quickly in passing. And I said, I, you know, kind of, Whoa, wasn't even thinking of ALS, but all right, you don't think it's that then, you know, in one ear out the other, frankly. Did anybody ever bring up heavy metals to you? Yep. Yep. I started seeing, in addition to my neurologist, I was just trying to get to the bottom of things. So I, I saw a, a wellness doctor here and she brought up heavy metal toxicity um, and, and did some blood work and did find uh, some, some heavy levels of, of mercury in my blood. Um, so that's kind of meant the, meant the end of uh, tuna and swordfish for me, unfortunately, which were, were, were things that I've enjoyed over the years. Um, I also saw a rheumatologist, um, thinking wanted to, or wanting to get tested for, for something tick-borne, um, here in New Jersey, big deer population and, and tick-borne diseases are fairly common. Yeah. Also went to a chiropractor. Um, yeah, honestly, at this point I was just kind of grasping for straws. My neurologist. So at this point, you're four doctors in, right? Oh yeah. Four, four, four and, or five. And yeah. are your symptoms getting worse? Yes. Progressively getting worse. My, at this point, my right arm is, is, and hand had become almost useless. Um, just to put it bluntly, um, I was having, having trouble writing, really couldn't type. Uh, I was shaving with my left hand. So I cut myself shaving in more in in two months than I did in 20 years. Um, and yeah. And it, you know, then mentally it, it really started to take a bit of a toll. Um, just really struggling you know, wondering again, what's wrong with me up until now, I've been completely healthy and, you know, no change in lifestyle. I didn't start eating poorly. I didn't stop exercising, um, and just kind of deterioration and, and muscles in my right arm and just kind of beginning to waste away. It was scary. Richard, I'd like to just mention something that I keep hearing when people get a heavy metals test, they get it through their blood. My neurologist, no, my naturopath, told me that Mm -hmm. it's not stored in your blood unless it's recent. It's stored in your fat and in your bones. And so I've had a number of friends get um, tested and the doctors Mm -hmm. say, no, you don't have any heavy metals, but they do not test with chelation therapy. They're just testing the blood. So I just want to throw that out there that people should question their doctors about a blood test or a chelation test to find out exactly how much of each metal that you have inside of you that's good info that's very very good advice McFinn. thank you for that so share uh, with us what happened next like what was the next step that got you closer to a diagnosis sure my my neurologist here locally um he finally i don't want to say threw up his hands but he he said i'm i'm really struggling to to figure out what this is um I would like you to see a specialist, go to uh, 
a teaching hospital and academic center of excellence um, where I am here in New Jersey. He suggested uh, either Johns Hopkins in Baltimore or the University of Pennsylvania in Philadelphia. Mm-hmm. Um, Penn is, is of, of course, a little bit closer, and uh, I was able to get in there first. Um, and this is about the week before Thanksgiving in, uh, in 2019. So I drive down to Penn um, and on Wednesday, and I see a neurologist there, obviously. And uh, she kind of did her work up and looked at my, my strength and uh, kind of heard my story and, and heard firsthand all the symptoms that I was experiencing. Didn't really say much as I'm answering the question, just kind of taking notes. Um, and she said, well, I'd like you to um, come here and, and repeat some EMG tests. And I had had those done locally and those aren't fun for those folks who, who mm-hmm. know about those. It's yeah. Get, get poked well, and can you, can you explain why? Cause I've never had one. So sure. Yeah. Uh, EMG test and I'll try to put it in layman's terms and hope I don't butcher it. Um, it's a, a electrical stimulation um, through needles that uh, puncture your skin to, to measure the mu- muscular response to, to nerve stimulation. Um, that's the, probably the, the, the best way I can describe it. And the actual needles themselves are pretty thin. So the puncturing of the skin is not what hurts. It's when they ask you to kind of flex your muscle and push back against the needle. Uh, that, that, that's where it gets interesting. Um, not a lot of fun. Um, but I said, sure, I'll come down and, uh, you know, repeat the test. And again, I, you know, figured they'll, all right, they'll figure out what it is, prescribe me something. And I'll be on my way. Um, so I was able to get in the next day for those tests. I go back down that Thursday, um, walk into an exam room, see a different neurologist. And he, he says to me, who, who drove you down here? Who are you, who, who are you here with? And I said, that's kind of weird. I'm just here by myself. I had a suit on. I was working in the corporate world at that time. And, and I said, yeah, I'm just going to drive back into work after this. I came down by myself and he, he just kind of shook his head. Um, and I didn't think anything of it and uh, it made sense to me later on. Um, so he, he and a resident together performed the EMG test, probably took about 60, 75 minutes. Um, I changed back into my suit after from the gown and they walked back into the exam room and the, uh, the resident, she younger woman looked, looked like a deer in headlights, looked, looked scared. And that's when I said, all right, this, not a great sign. I'm, maybe I'm not going to like what they have to say here. Um, and the, the doctor, he just cut right to the chase. He said, yeah, it's uh, it's ALS. And, you know, it's just to state the obvious that just, just shook me to the core. It rocked my world. Uh, I really don't remember much of the, the next five minutes of that, what that conversation was like. You're probably in shock. Yeah, totally. Totally. Um, just remember hearing, you know, three to five year life expectancy, no, no cure to approve treatments, limited efficacy. Um, yeah, I small room. I, I did. I, yeah, I do think I kind of had, wasn't shocked, had a bit of a panic attack. I remember pacing back and forth in the room and, um, you know, he just kind of, he said, Dr. Elman, the woman who I'd seen yet the day before, she'll be in touch with you and, and we'll, we'll try to get you into the ALS clinic in, in a few weeks. And uh, yeah, so that was. So Richard, they need to really think about this because when people are giving you a three to five year, you know, that's, that's out of a book. It's not you. They, they know the book, but they don't know you exactly. And that's what I found out 
when they gave me my diagnosis, it was like, I don't know if you really know. So mm-hmm. it's really good to, to really not fully embrace that um, when another human being tells you, but thankfully they, they, they are smart and that's what they think, but every person is different. So. I'm- and I think it's important to get multiple doctors to diagnose you with whatever, not even just ALS, but whatever ailment you have, get, get a couple of doctors to say, yeah, this is, this is what you have. I think that's yep. um, very important. Yeah, I totally agree. And I think both of you, you bring up a really good point. I, I think just about kind of patient, I, I guess, literacy to a certain ex- extent and kind of just patient advocacy and, and being one's own self-advocate. And, you know, I found in the system and, and the healthcare system and, and leading up into that day, you know, if I wasn't making these additional appointments, if I wasn't going out and, and, and trying to get other opinions and get tested for different things, mm-hmm. you know, that's not going to happen. And unfortunately, you do need to be really, really kind of fend for yourself and stick up for yourself in this healthcare system. You have um, to be your own advocate because yeah. nobody else will. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Um, I, I'm, I'm curious how many people just thinking, because this is very, you know, it's a rare disease. It's considered rare, yep. but how many people have been misdiagnosed? Do either of you know that? Because in just thinking there must be some people who are misdiagnosed. And I'm just wondering, you know, what, the, how, who those people are and how many of, how, how many of them are out there? Just I've never heard of a number of that, yeah. um, but it's a, there it's a really good thing for us to look into. Because yeah. I'm going to yeah. look into that. Yeah, yeah I don't know, know a number in absolute terms, but I think uh, of the condition that I have with multifocal motor neuropathy, and I'll, I'll talk more about that in a minute. Yeah. I think 10 to 15% um, of, of MMN uh, patients uh, originally are, are initially diagnosed with ALS. Oh, interesting. Okay. Yeah. And it's, it, that, that's, it mocks each of the symptoms mock each yes. other, right? Okay. Yep. A mimic. Yeah. Okay. And I'll, I'll come to how the, the diagnosis was corrected in a, in a couple of minutes, but I think what's really important is the, the period right after my ALS misdiagnosis that really, for me, put, was obviously a very dark time. And I felt alone and I felt very isolated. Um, I felt scared, frankly. And yes. that's with the support of a loving and amazing family that I have here. Um, and, and that day when I was diagnosed, I, it was a pretty surreal drive home, uh, up by 95, the big highway here on the East coast. And, and, uh, my te- my wife's a preschool teacher. And even though this was the week before Thanksgiving, there was some nice weather here in New Jersey that, at that time. And, and she was out on the playground with the kids she teaches. And, uh, I just drove right to her school and she saw me get out of the car and she could just see the look on my face and, and she could tell that something was, was very, very wrong. And, uh, yeah, I mean, that just kind of unleashed a really, really rough period for, for my, my family and I, and, you know, there's great resources, uh, an organization, Hope Loves Company that I'm on the board of that provides emotional support for, for, for families and specifically children, uh, with loved ones affected by ALS, but still, I mean, just the feeling of getting that diagnosis and, and the helplessness and the isolation, um, and that's, you know, why I think some of the work that we're doing at Everything ALS is so meaningful 
and anything that we can do to, to, to pro provide support and comfort for, for those, for the community and the patients and the caregivers, I, I think is critically important. And it's so good, Richard, that it's happened now, because for me, 15 years ago, I had nowhere to turn. There wasn't an organization like this. Mm -hmm. And for you to, to have come out of this and then come and join our organization, I can't thank mm -hmm. you enough because dis misdiagnosis and diagnosis, they're both extremely painful, mm -hmm. deadly, confusing, mm -hmm. and it's really nice to have somebody to talk with. And that's why us having over 350 people sometimes to talk to about these things. Yeah. Um, Richard, your, 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 your story is medicine. So continue <laughs> on. Oh, certainly. Yeah. And we're, we're a family here at everything ALS and, and we have our extended family every, uh, every second Wednesday and it, it, it's awesome. So yeah. And, and as, I, as I started started to say that the next couple of months were rough. It's, you know, really thinking about, okay, how do I deal with this? Um, how do I prepare for, for the inevitable? Um, you know, thankfully I had a very supportive employer um, that was allowing me to take all the time that I needed to focus on treatment and, and help prepare financially. Um, the best bet, excuse me, the, the next big milestone uh, was going up to Mass General to get a second opinion, um, as, as most ALS patients are encouraged to do, um, just you know, based on the difficulties in diagnosing that we're talking about here. The diagnosis was confirmed there. Um, they did, though, talk to me about the uh, the platform trial and, mm -hmm. and research that they're doing there. Yeah. Um, they they're talked doing to me a great about, job. Yeah, tremendous job. Yeah. Um, talked to me about stem cell therapy and being done in South Korea as an option. Um, so I walked away from that appointment feeling not not optimistic, but at least, okay, there's some things I can do here. There's some things that I can try. Um, and I thought, I think that was very important. I'm really appreciative to the team there at, at MGH for mm -hmm. kind of providing that, that, that positivity to me, that was important to my family and I, yeah. That sounds like you, you know, you went to a, a very large organization because I went to a very small neurology office and they didn't give me options. They mm -hmm. only gave me 18 months. And so I think, I think things are really evolving over the last 15 years, but yep. I'm, I'm really happy that they gave you uh, some things to chew on. Well, in even big organizations, my brother went to Stanford right here in Silicon Valley, and this was not many years ago. And they said, get your affairs in order. That's what Stanford told him. So, you know, thank God we do have places like MGH that are that have this platform trial where they're providing mm -hmm. several treatments and options for patients. It, it, you know, this is the way of the future and they've, they've, they've paved that and thank God for them. But it, yep. it's scary to think that going to Stanford and I don't want to knock on them because I love Stanford. Um, but you know, he was told, sorry, get your affairs in order. Yeah. And yeah, and it, it, it's a great point, Lisa. And I, it, it kind of comes back to the theme of, of patient advocacy and, and, and taking, taking control, being proactive. Mm -hmm. yes. and, and that's not easy at, 
at any point in our healthcare system, it's, it's certainly not easy when you get a diagnosis like ALS, but mm-hmm. I, I think, frankly, it is incumbent upon people, incumbent, incumbent upon patients and their families to really be advocates for themselves and re- do research and, and identify what options are out there. Because, yeah, it, I think like you're saying, McFinn, and you're saying, Lisa, it's easy to just kind of hear that there's no options and hear that, that, mm-hmm. that you know, go home and get your affairs in order yeah. and, and take that as gospel. And, and we can't do that. <sighs> Well, I'm glad neither of you did. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So then the, the next next step in my journey uh, was a trip out to central Minnesota, Rochester, Minnesota, the Mayo Clinic. Mm-hmm. And, and frankly, uh, after visiting Penn and Mass General, um, I was close to canceling that appointment. Um, I, hope, I hope any Minnesotans listening, listening won't get offended. But I said, do I really need to go out to central Minnesota in January? Um, after I'd been to two, two academic centers of excellence here on the East coast. And, um, but I kept the appointment at my sister's urging and, uh, and I'm glad I did. Um, so she and I traveled out there together and, um, you know, similar start to our visit there, meeting with the neurologist, retelling my, my journey, my symptoms. And, uh, they of course wanted to do their own EMG tests. Um, so I buckled up for, for more poking and prodding. Yeah. Um, and I did Good that on the morning. Charm. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Did that on, uh, on the early morning of day two there. And, um, that was on all four limbs. The tests were performed and, and this, this part's neat to me by, by Dr. Nathan staff, who Lisa, as you know, and, and McFinn, you know, as well, spoke on one of our webinars a, a couple of months ago, and I was able to introduce him. And that was, that was, that was a nice, nice opportunity for me. Um, so anyway, my sister and I are walking back to the to our hotel and uh, my, my cell phone rings and I see it's the neurologist's office and the, her staff, a member of her staff said, Dr. Maloney would like to see you uh, now if you're able to, to come back to the office. And this was late morning and I had an appointment scheduled for four o'clock that afternoon. And I said, okay, I guess, you know, she must've had a, a change in her schedule and wants to see me now. So yeah. my sister and I, sister and I trek back over there and get escorted down to her office and walk in and and uh and she says you know, i'm just gonna i'm gonna cut to the chase I looked at your emg test results and i don't think it's als and oh, i need to take a deep breath <laughs> yeah <laughs> you, you and me both um it's still i've told the story a bunch of times obviously it's still still very raw and emotional for me and um and my sister started started crying immediately, and maybe I'm a little more jaded or cynical. I I asked the doctor. I said, "Okay, kind of walk me through what's going on and what you're mm-hmm. seeing." And she said, "We saw a conduction block in one of your nerves, and mm-hmm. that's not typical with a, a patient in AL, patient with ALS. Okay. Um, I think it's a an autoimmune condition called multifocal motor neuropathy. That's that's a mouthful. Um, it's Referred to as MMN, which is easier. Mm-hmm. Um, that's mm-hmm. how I've been, been referring to it since then. And yeah, and then what she said said next was interesting, and it and it really ties back into to some of the work that we're trying to solve for here at Everything ALS. And she said, just like ALS, there's no diagnostic test, there's no biomarker for this. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I can't draw blood and confirm it one way or the other mm-hmm. uh, or another. Um, I can. What I'm gonna suggest you do is go home and, and start on uh, some IV antibody therapy, um, something called intravenous immunoglobulin, mm-hmm. IVIG. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, you know, if you respond to it, that 
is essentially going to eliminate the, the ALS diagnosis. Um, so I stayed out in Minnesota for a few more days. They wanted to do a, a, a lumbar puncture and a couple more MRIs and some more blood work um, and then headed home. Late February 2020, uh, I was able to start the IVIG infusions here locally. Um, back in my neurologist's office, uh, just about 10 minutes from my house. Um, went in for five consecutive days, probably about two or three hours of infusion each day. Painless, just sit there with an IV in and, and uh, thankfully no side effects. And then a, f- a few days later, um, I wake up lying in bed with my wife and I start to move my hand and I haven't been able to do that for 15 months. And Richard, can't even imagine. Yeah. And that's, you know, that's when I knew and when I really felt begin to to felt good, good about things. Um, This reminds me of being in a plane that almost crashes, like literally where you're like, I'm dying and I, there's nothing I can do. And then the plane lands and you get out and you're like, I just want to kiss the ground. Yeah. I just want to kiss the, I bet that's somewhat, maybe a little bit how you felt. That's just what's going through my head. Yeah, no, exactly. Exactly. I, I just felt extremely grateful. I felt extremely lucky. Uh, I just felt extremely thankful for, for getting the right diagnosis, for having access to the right treatment, um, really for, for a second, what, what I thought was a second chance. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I guess what stuck with me though, and, it, and it's kind of led me to to where I am today, is mm-hmm. it, it was a life changing experience for me mm-hmm. um, receiving that diagnosis of a terminal illness, experiencing walking in the shoes of an ALS patient for for three four months, and really just really seeing, for lack of a better term, just what a brutal disease it is. Mm-hmm. and how taxing it is on patients, how taxing it is on caregivers, how it can be financially crippling, um, how much opportunity there is, I think, to improve the resources that are available for patients and their families, uh, how much opportunities there, there is. To- what do you think that it did for your spiritual life? That's a great question, McFinn. Um, I think it really caused me to, think about what's important in life. And I know that sounds cliche. Um, I was really think on a, on a bit of a, a treadmill in my, in my life that wasn't the most healthy one in terms of um, you know, working for a great company, but I think focusing way too much on that, on that job, um, not taking care of myself mentally, mm-hmm. um, not being focused enough on my family and, and my relationship with my wife and my daughters. Um, and just be very open and honest with, with you all about this. And that was a big part of my journey. Um, and really thinking about how I could use this experience to make some positive changes in my life, um, to work on things that are going to have a lot more meaning and a lot more impact. Um, and again, that's in no way to disparage my, my prior career and my 18 years that, at that company it was a great place, but I just wanted to be a lot more present, um, have stronger relationships with those close to me and, and again, be involved, involved in things that are going to have a, have a lasting impact and, and, and hopefully uh, a lot more meaning for folks. So it was uh, a 
real journey for me, frankly, in the uh, kind of the middle of last year, um, a positive one. I, I joke with folks, I'm, I'm probably the, the only person that had a better 2020 than 2019. Um, <laughs> well, when and, faced with the walls of death, you know, you really learn what you're all about. And it sounds like you've really done that work. And we're so lucky to have you because of your, your genuine passion for having this purpose and making a yeah. difference. And so we, we love that. And we welcome that. So we're, we're just so lucky to have you on board because you are like such a good, good mm-hmm. soul and, and you want to help others. And we love that. So I'm sorry you had to go through the yeah, ringer to, to be able to yeah, work with I, us. Yeah, but, something great um, came out of that experience. And I think we're, we're a team of, mm-hmm. of, of great souls and, uh, yeah, so in then really, I, I'll say third quarter, September 20, 2020, really started thinking about, okay, how can I kind of take all these learnings and this growth journey that I'm on and, and make some really significant changes in my life and thought about a career change. Um, through the organization, I mentioned Hope Loves Company, uh, which coincidentally is, is headquartered here in my hometown. Um, Jody O'Donnell Ames, the woman who founded that, uh, was of great support to my wife and sister uh, after my misdiagnosis. And I reached out to her and said, hey, you know, kind of here, here's where I am. I'm um, mm-hmm. thinking about making a big change. I want to do something that's mm-hmm. going to be involved ALS. And, you know, I'm not sure what that could look like, but, um, you know, do you have any thoughts? And, you know, can you connect me with anyone in, the, in your network? So she put me in touch with Deb, um, with Deb Fabricator on on our team, and Deb's like, "Oh wow, I got this. I guess I know this guy. You have to meet this organization that, that just got off the ground, and and I just started working with this guy Mergesh. I'm like, okay, whatever. He's like, she, you got. She's like, you guys are gonna hit it off. You guys are gonna hit it off. I'm like, sure, I'll you know jump on a Zoom with them and and see what see what it's all about. Um, so we got a, on a, a Zoom call, uh, Deb and Mergesh and Indu and I. Um, and yeah, we just kind of hit it off from the get go. And, uh, I just love their energy and I love their passion and, um, they're just asking good questions. It's really inquisitive and really interested in me and, and, and my experience. Um, and yeah, it was just kind of like, I felt like it was meant to be. And, uh, over the course of the next few months, we just talked about different, different things we could potentially collaborate on and work on. And, and then time, when did think, you ever meet, when did you meet him? Yeah, interesting. Interestingly enough, not until a couple of weeks ago. So, uh, <laughs> and you know, that tell us the story. What, how, how did that happen? Yeah. So, you know, officially joined the Everything ALS team and at the end of February. And, uh, you know, just like most folks in the world, our, our interactions have been uh, Zoom based and uh, productive ones, I think, and great to get the, to know the team over Zoom. Um, but yeah, I, I, with the exception of Deb and Sylvia, just on a couple of occasions, I hadn't met anybody on the team. I don't think anybody had uh, met each other. So until last there week, there were ten of us. Yeah, yeah, That's exactly. Right. And until a couple of weeks ago, we all got together in uh, in California and in, in the valley. And on Deb, uh, excuse me, on Lisa, your your parents' beautiful property outside mm-hmm. of Santa Cruz. Yep. And yeah, I've told people that was a uh, that was a really meaningful couple of days for me, and a really awesome couple of days because it was for me special. too. For, for all of us, because, you know, never being together physically, um, mm-hmm. 
you can guess a lot about people. But when we got together physically, we melted together. Yep. And and we laughed so much that we even missed dinner one night. So <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. And it's I know it sounds so cliche and oh you know, you say, oh, it's it's like we've known each other for years, but it, it truly felt that way. Like uh yeah, I just it was special. Yeah, it was awesome. It was. Well, well um, we're so lucky to have you on the team. Do you want to tell us what your your focus is with everything ALS and what you're going to be working on? Yeah, so I alluded to to my 18-year career a couple of times in the company I worked for. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that company was Novo Nordisk, mm-hmm. uh, which people may know is a, a pretty large pharmaceutical company uh, focused mm-hmm. on primarily on diabetes and obesity. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, my career there uh, provided me with some a, a pretty deep network and uh, some pretty strong relationships within the within the pharmaceutical industry. Um, over the years, a lot of my contacts moved around and under a lot of different companies. Um, so as we focus our efforts on the search for a digital biomarker and try to get more research collaborations off the ground, um, try to get some interest from pharma in from pharma companies and participating in those collaborations and and uh, supporting our work with startups, um, tapping into that network and trying to connect us and introduce us with different pharma companies and, and kind of kick those conversations off. That's really been the, uh, the primary focus of mine. And, uh, and it's great. It's uh, kind of leveraging my skill set, my experience and, and some relationships that I have, but in a really new and, and different fun way and, and, and one that uh, I think is going to pay dividends and, and, uh, and, and eventually have a pretty big impact for the patient community. Well, we're, we're like we both said, both McFinn and I were super lucky to have you. And um, we love that you're on our team and you do bring a lot of expertise in that pharmaceutical industry and that, you know, that's what we're targeting at everything ALS as well, in addition to all of our research. So um, partnering with as many, you know, pharmaceuticals with our program. So we're, we're so lucky to have you. And no, I'm lucky to have you guys and, and lucky to be part of this team. And, and uh, yeah, walking away from, from the trip a couple of weeks ago, just, you know, something stuck out with me with every member on the team and, and Lisa, it's the, this constant smile I always see on your face <laughs> and, and positivity that you, you just radiate. And uh, McFinn, it's you're probably the most genuine, authentic person that, that I've met and, and just so true to yourself. And, and I, and I love that. So um, thank you, yeah, well, Richard. There's so much more to this organization than us just finding the cure. It's really us finding each other and yep. being a being that unit. And actually, each of us is a reward for each other because each of us are givers. And so I'd just like to say thank you for joining with us. Thank you for your experience because nobody knows how it is until they've been there. Yep. Amen. And so with that, we just want to say that there is a lot in life to be grateful for. And we are looking for all of those people who would like to be grateful with us because we have a mission and we want to share that mission. So thank you for joining us in our community, our exploration. We're digging deep into those affected by ALS. Actually, we're working tirelessly. So your stories matter so much to us. So please keep sharing. Continue to help us further with our research. 
ALS is a mystery. Each one of you is a piece of the puzzle. Mm -hmm. If you know anyone who suffers from ALS, or if you're a researcher, or a neurologist, or if you're from the pharma or the biotech companies working in the ALS arena, we would love to hear from you. So for more information, please visit everythingals.org. Another podcast from the heart from Everything ALS, folks. A fine day to you. Thank you for joining us. And we'll see you with our next podcast. It will be interesting. Mm -hmm. Be sure to be looking for us. Yep. A fine Tune day. in. Thanks, Richard. Thanks, guys. Thanks, Great Nathan. to be here today. Okay. Bye, All everyone. Right. Thanks for joining us in our journey of exploration and digging deep into the souls of those affected by ALS and those working tirelessly to help put an end to this devastating disease. Your stories and your work matter so much to us and to so many. Keep sharing and continuing to help further the research in ALS so we don't have to see another person suffer. Do you know anyone who's suffering from ALS? Are you a researcher, a neurologist, pharma, or biotech company working in the ALS arena? If so, we'd love to hear from you. For more information, please visit us at info at everything ALS. Thank you, folks. See you in our next podcast. Don't miss it. It's going to be exciting.